Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. My guest today has spent over 25 years in international banking across different countries. He has, in recent years, made the switch to digital banking. This is the new series on Heads Talk where we talk to leaders in the banking and financial industry about the advent and impact of fintech on the sector. But before we get into that, here is a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Eurus. Euros Private Capital Forum is transitioning online with on-demand sessions offering attendees the utmost flexibility to access industry-specific content and deals on their terms. Launching this coming February, Euros 2022 will bring together 100 speakers from across Europe over a broad agenda covering private equity, venture capital, real estate and private debt. For details, visit www.eurosforum.org. Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter. Osmond Ershad Fies is the Chief Information and Operating Officer of AMTD Digital. Osmond has over 25 years international banking experience across different countries. He started his banking career as a management trainee at American Express Bank and left his country of birth, Bangladesh, as the Chief Operating Officer of Standard Chartered Bank, Bangladesh in 2005. Since then, he served in a variety of roles for Standard Chartered, including Chief Operating Officer and Chief Information Officer in Singapore, Head of Wholesale Banking Operations in East Region, Global Head of Core Banking Implementation, Head of Operations at Permita Bank in Indonesia. Since 2015, Osmond has been a fellow at the Institute of Banking and Finance in Singapore, and for the past four years has been a champion for diversity and women empowerment, in which he has been recognised by both the Financial Times and Yahoo Finance. Finally, Osman mentors women in the financial and fintech industry. This he has been doing for a decade now. Let's begin this episode. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Osman to Heads Talk. Many thanks for being with us today. Hello, Elaine. Uh, thank you for having me on your Head Stop uh, podcast. So, so I'm happy to join you from Singapore. Thank you very much. Thank you again. Um, let's get right to the questions. Um, can, a, can a traditional banker, an investment banker, or someone working in, the, in that space for a number of years easily transition into the fintech environment? Or is there a major learning journey for them? I was wondering, do they need an element of entrepreneurial now mixed with innovative skills or just good old fashioned financial service savviness. You have made the transition from traditional banking to FinTech. How easy was this transition for you? What were the challenges? Thank you, great question. Uh, I was expecting probably uh, one of those difficult questions to come in. Uh, <laughs> so if you look at, you know, I spent 25 years in banking. Uh, I led banking operations and advanced some banking technology transformation roadmaps. Uh, in 25 years, I had fair share of international banking, which multi-year investments, technology rollouts, 
uh, various standardization effort across Asia, Africa, and Middle East, uh, as, as uh, you introduced me from Stanchart, that I had a long career. Uh, so those uh, uh, definitely had, uh, I had, had my fair share of challenges. And of course, the glories of international banking. Mm. Uh, uh, but in my recent years, uh, when I uh, uh, um, when I'm the C I was the CIO and COO role I was doing for Standard Chartered, uh, I was very proud to play a role where I saw the digital payment technologies uh, are coming in, uh, thanks to the uh, Singapore government where the smart mission blueprint was going on. So as an example, uh, you know, I witnessed the interbank gyro systems uh, that used to be a two-day settlement cycle. Uh, mm -hmm. And then that current timeline uh, moved to real-time basis 24 by 7, which is popularly known as yeah. fast transfers. So, which obviously I, I looked at it very closely. I was part of the steering group. Uh, uh, so that change uh, I've seen. Then the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, 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 you know, struck us where secure digital payment systems became far more important than ever. So mm -hmm. enabling cashless payment, online payment, uh, fast transfer, uh, it, all this became the backbone of uh, business resilience. So people are, uh, you know, pushed to work from home. So that, that movement became, you know, far more uh, pervasive. So going to fintech uh, uh, from banking, uh, I would say was both a natural transition mm -hmm. and of course a bold decision. Uh, mm -hmm. I was, um, I, I want to be able to, you know, look back uh, as part of the legacy where uh, I've been, you know, seen the payment evolution and now the digital banking revolution, if I may say, are mm -hmm. taking place. So uh, it's not that every day that a fintech giant like AMTD uh, asks you to come on board as the first hire. Mm -hmm. So uh, I felt very honored that, you know, uh, I, I was looked uh, up by, by this uh, giant organization. And uh, I looked at also that bank have had their limitation uh, uh, with regard to infrastructure challenge. Uh, and fintech, uh, whereas needs the client base, capital, experience, and wisdom. So, uh, in that sense, uh, it is a natural transition for me to bring in that, uh, uh, you know, wealth of knowledge and mm -hmm. wisdom and experience. Whereas for me, is also uh, quite a bit of new thing learning in terms of the new technology. So that's where I, I would say that uh, it's a natural progression for me to to keep my learning curve mm -hmm. and. Um, you know, it's been a fascinating journey last one and a half years, I mean, close to one and a half years. Okay, you, you say it's a natural progression, and yet at the same time you say it's a bold decision. Why bold? Uh, I would say that uh, bold in the sense that if you look at the industries, uh, it, it is not very common that the traditional bankers would come to fintech. Fintech is very much dominated by you know, young yes. population, they, they are far more tech savvy, uh, but what they lack is they don't understand the regulatory landscape because banking is a highly regulated uh, industry, as you know. And with this digital bank, uh, I don't think any anywhere in the world, the, the rules are getting relaxed. So uh, bringing that perspective that how this is going to operate is something I think AMTD was looking for me. And for me was, uh, telling them that this is the way to go and this is how you can uh, do things. So for me, it was like uh, I couldn't do certain things sitting in a large bank, whereas I have a free hand now uh, to do things which uh, I couldn't do in a large organization. So in that sense, it's quite uh, interesting for me. And, and uh, if you also see that I've been in a, you know, established organization where you have established governance process mm -hmm, systems, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whereas in fintech, it's quite disruptive. Uh, and in that sense, 
uh, you can move much faster and um, you can deploy things much quicker. So the whole idea why FinTech is becoming successful, in my opinion, is it's cheaper, faster. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what it is. And, and whereas in a traditional banks, it's quite difficult to change the legacy infrastructure. So mm-hmm. they have this natural advantage. And uh, uh, I didn't see in Singapore or other places that anyone uh, from the traditional bank at a senior leadership role has made this switch. So in that sense, I would say uh, I probably was the first one. And actually, mm-hmm. MTDs, I was the first hire in Singapore to establish their headquarters here. Mm-hmm. And then subsequently, you know, we, we got a, a, a good team in Singapore. So uh, it, it is quite a news in my mind that uh, uh, my peers, my colleagues who were in the banks, they are still there. Uh, but but they are also fascinating. Uh, they they always want to hear my story. That how did I uh, do? What's going on? What's the learning? Uh, so it, it's quite uh, uh, fascinating, and and I would say I'm learning a lot more than I would have learned otherwise. So you're a bit of a pioneer then, I, I'm assuming, to your your colleagues of old, and the move brought about the flexibility that you needed in in your work life. So that's interesting. Um, let's move on to the next question. Um, this next one is a, is a nice, neat question that I saw in an article, uh, and I would really like your take on this. So, in today's world, what is the greater commodity, capital or data, and why? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a great question. Uh, I would say that uh, uh, today we live in an information-driven economy mm-hmm. and where data is the new gold, as people say, right? Yeah. Uh, so in my view, data is definitely the new capital, no doubt about that. Uh, what is happening is data and technology are driving the business transformation. Uh, and that is being uh, underscored by the increasing sophistication of uh, your IT infrastructure, uh, huge data volume and, and mm-hmm. information flow. So in that sense, uh, data is definitely a competitive asset and competition can be very brutal. So traditional banking model are legacy models built on capital and physical assets. So mm-hmm. most fintechs, uh, uh, if you see, are powered by data-rich systems uh, and coupled with latest technology uh, you know, that they're deploying AI, predictive modeling, uh, and machine learning. So mm-hmm. these enables business to make better decisions and be more efficient. So that's where, uh, if I give an example, uh, data analytics can help to even optimize operations. Determine You can determine that how much advertising dollars should be best used for customers' conversions mm-hmm. and, and identify which target group of customers are underserved. So that's a, that's a very powerful uh, tool. Uh, but I would like to emphasize one thing here, that corporates uh, uh, still don't realize the potential and power of data by giving the control of data back to the people. So corporates are using, but I think this is important to note that this control over data has to go back to the people instead of some big corporates trying to harnessing the power, the ability to allow control and consent based on usage of data is important. And I think today- Are you you talking about democratization of data? Yes, in a, in a way, democratization, it is, it is my data, I will give consent. So if you are customizing uh, and, and uh, personalization is happening, then it, technology provides today the tools that uh, I can give a consent in a straight through way by which my data can be used for a value-added service given to me. So that's what the direction uh, is taking place. And I think uh, we will see more and more uh, you know, uh, you know, evolution of that 
customer deciding how much data I will give and what value do I get out of that. And that's the trend uh, I think you will see more and more happening because that's where the customization and value add will come through technology tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the other, if you look at the recent Singapore FinTech Festival, uh, that, that has given a spotlight on uh, Web 3.0 uh, and uh, DeFi. The, the fundamentals of say 3.0, uh, uh, which were actually subject of key discussion. So in my view, this uh, must allow businesses and individuals uh, to take back control of their own data and, and still participating and building the uh, metaverse of our digital future and, and be rewarded for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, example being say InsurTech. So InsurTech, uh, beside banking and FinTech, one of the example I, I would share that how data is contributing to the rise of InsurTech. So it's a legacy industry, but InsurTech basically combines data and technology. And what through that, they're maximizing the efficiency and savings from insurance. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting if you see the data uh, uh, fast disrupting the insurance industry at the same time. Mm-hmm. So traditional insurance industry wa- was facing stiff competition and these insurtech players uh, are, are leveraging on that. Uh, and, and the traditional insurance industry was typically very data heavy, but they relied on complex actuarial calculations and, and physical customer service touch point. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, insurance products uh, are now priced at a standard rate across the board. But these rates have never taken into consideration other factors like exercise frequencies or eating habits. So, so this is where modern technology and ecosystem data, mm-hmm. uh, you will see that is extremely helpful and, and it's reinventing the pricing scheme. So uh, it is yeah. going to allow people to extract better value uh, from insurance product. And uh, we are seeing things change with how traditional insurance companies are partnering with technology firms. Mm-hmm. So. Increasingly, I think we will see more startups like, say, Lemonade uh, uh, and our very own Singapore InsurTech startup, uh, 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 which AMTD acquired called Polystital. Uh, they are tracking insurance coverage overview and analyzing gaps uh, in your insurance coverage. So they can do this by very quickly and they're doing it consistently. Mm. So with the use of machine learning, they're taking uh, use of AI mm. and big data. So this is going to be another big disruption, I think, uh, is taking place uh, very fast. I think so, and I'm, gl- I'm really glad that you've mentioned that, because we will have a guest in, in this series that will talk solely about um, InsureTech. So it'd be interesting to see what mm-hmm. additional information they will provide on top of what you've given to us here to today. Um, Let's look closely at the world of fintech uh, and what's going on there. Um, what are the trends you are seeing now in fintech? What's in and what's out? Okay, so I, I would say, if you look at Elaine, that fintech is an exciting industry in the first place to be in. Uh, there is never a dull moment. Hmm. So one of the trends in digital finance world uh, uh, I'm most excited about is the uh, NFTs or, or non-fungible tokens. So what I'm really interested in this is the underlying concept of, uh, I'm sure you heard tokenization. Yep. So this is very popular uh, topic and has attracted uh, much interest among investors as well as you know, new asset class. Mm-hmm. And, and today the most common application of tokens that exist uh, on the blockchain or, or distributed ledger technology uh, mm-hmm. are tokens that are fungible of nature. So uh, like cryptocurrencies or ingots or gold. So, mm-hmm. so I would say tokenization can also be linked to ownership of real world items like any art piece, music, uh, or any collectible, 
So this, this allows for fractionalization of high value assets. Uh, it could be wine, it could be jewelry, it could be painting. So therefore it, it, it will be reducing entry barriers and boosting access to new markets for smaller players. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, personalized uh, other, other area that I also see that are happening is uh, personalized wealth management. So, you know, in, in old days, uh, uh, um, the high net worth individuals mm-hmm. uh, were very much RM led. And, and they would only talk to the RM. And there was no uh, digital uh, intervention. Now, from that, we have seen robo-investing came, uh, which is kind of a hybrid. You know, uh, uh, Now, we'll see the, the more value-add services are going to come, and, and hyper-personalization is something is, is going to take place. So uh, organizations, what they're doing is uh, they're profiling. So uh, Elaine is a persona. Uh, and she's into media, you know, she, she runs this, or Osman is from FinTech, and this is his background. So this is how each persona will be defined in that, um, you know, the, the wealth category or high net worth category, and all will be done, a huge part of that will be done through technology uh, uh, tools that are available today. So when the RM will come, uh, it will not go away, but it will be more light touch and more advisory and value at conversation. So. Mm-hmm. It is a complete shift that we are seeing across the board that how technology is changing the the, the, uh, the wealth management side of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fascinating uh, in my view. I think so. And, uh, you know, I had an episode where I um, talked to a leader um, about um, the wealth management and, and personalization and management of their own portfolio and how fintech has helped them with that. So that, that's quite incident, in, interesting. So it's, incidentally, what... Bold moves are being made in Asia in the fintech and banking space that you can share additional moves, I, should, I would say, that you can share with my listeners other than the, what we've just talked about. I mean, before I go, go there, just a small data point. Uh, you know, the digital asset industry uh, currently is valued at close to $2 trillion US dollar. And the tokenization of real world physical assets uh, may result in increased market participation uh, and additional market liquidity. So that that's something uh, is quite fascinating. Now, uh, obviously, you, you are asking about that uh, uh, banking space, bold moves are being made in Asia or in fintech. Uh, I would say that there is quite a few. Uh, uh, what comes into my mind is, um, uh, uh, first of all, central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so uh, we are all closely monitoring the rise of digital currencies by central banks. And it is very fascinating that there is a strong probability that in future, uh, that instead of paper cash in our wallets, we will have e-dollars in a digital wallet. Mm. Uh, This means that money issuance will be directly linked to a digital wallet that is backed by the central banking system. Mm -hmm. So example, uh, you know, Hong Kong. Hong Kong Monetary Authority recently, they have released a technical uh, white paper uh, where they have explored the e-Hong Kong dollars as part of their fintech 2025 strategy. Mm-hmm. Now, beyond the paper dollars and e-currency system, the central bank digital currencies, uh, which are well-designed and implemented, could help uh, expand financial inclusion for Asia. So this will be the case as more unbanked people will be included in the system and, and more savings for investments and make the country less dependent on foreign capital. So I think uh, that is a, a big shift uh, that is happening in Asia. And, and if you look at some of the statistics in uh, Southeast Asia, um, uh, 
uh, I can see that the, the mobile penetration uh, and the millennial, the, the young population uh, mm -hmm. are huge number that about, uh, I think, 460 million uh, mm -hmm. that are, uh, uh, you know, uh, getting this advantage of being tech savvy or just because there is an internet and, and mobile penetration, they will be doing and coming into the, uh, uh, they will get banked. So, so they were today uh, largely unbanked. So this internet and, and this, uh, you know, uh, mobile penetration is helping the bank will be in, in, in your palm. So basically no more branch or physical uh, presence would be required. Uh, that's mm -hmm. a big shift I can see that is taking place uh, across Southeast Asia. And um, yeah, so uh, I, I would say in, in other thing that we have also seen uh, in, in this uh, uh, part of the world, uh, pay now regional connection. Uh, you must have seen uh, in the recent past that uh, for the first time uh, globally, uh, uh, Singapore uh, had connected with uh, uh, Thailand, right? Mm -hmm. And from pay uh, and Singapore has got pay now. So now, uh, previously, any money you want to send that you have to go to bank and, and, and cross currency transfer is something like a black hole. You don't know when it will reach. Today, uh, they have just gone live. So using your Singapore Pay now, you can send any money to, to somebody who, who could be on Thai, in Thailand side in Thai Bath uh, through using their Pompey. So this uh, uh, information highway, this payment gateway that are getting created and, and more are coming like uh, Malaysia uh, in September with Monetary Authority uh, of Singapore and Bank Negara. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, they have announced that the, the Singapore pay now and Malaysia's uh, do it now, uh, a real-time payment system is going to come up. So this is the second uh, example that I, uh, I'm seeing. And parallelly in India, uh, the Reserve Bank of India is also uh, has spoken to Monetary Authority of Singapore, and they are going to use between pay now and India has gone into unified payment interface, which is again a real-time payment systems by July, 2022. So. This is a payment uh, uh, highway which are getting in the hands of individuals who does not need any more an intermediary bank. So, so they are behind the scene and instant 24 by seven, uh, you will be able to send money uh, to whoever you, know, you have on the other okay. side. This COVID accelerated in a way uh, uh, for digital adoption, which, which was, uh, I would say five years uh, 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 that would have otherwise taken. Mm -hmm. has had a quantum leap and clients are now willing to, to adopt the digital platforms, which was in previously mm -hmm. banks were struggling to push. Uh, uh, on the other side, uh, if, you, if you look at even in the fintech industry, uh, I, I see that uh, just uh, two years, three years back in Singapore uh, had 10 fintech companies. Now there are about 14,000 fintech, right? So. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it is contributing about 13% of Singapore's GDP. And uh, it has offered job, 10,000 people are now working in FinTech in Singapore. So mm -hmm. I think that that shift is pushing, uh, you know, uh, the whole uh, transition to take place. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I would say that um, in, in the, uh, uh, the changes that I see, the uh, uh, other changes in, in this spectrum across Southeast Asia, uh, the concept of banking as a service and platform oh, bank right. is also coming. Yes, uh, so we're, we're going to talk about that in detail, but let, let's just stick with sort of the, the individuals, um, especially with the, with, with the fintech. Um, what about security concerns? What are the issues there? 
Well, security concerns, as you rightly said, that the cyber security, which is a big issue because of the exponential growth of digital adoption, we are seeing a shortage of skilled resources. Uh, and it is, it's going to significantly, uh, disproportionately, uh, it will look very bad unless uh, we start addressing some of these needs. So just an example, we just two days back signed an MOU with National University of Singapore, mm-hmm. where AMTD, we are actually setting up a, a cybersecurity center of excellence. So basically, you know, the, all the cyber or data hacking mm-hmm. has predominantly uh, confined to the West because they were more digitized and, and the large banks in the North America or Europe who were being targeted uh, by the cyber hacking. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when it comes to this, as the digital adoptions taking place, we are seeing more and more uh, uh, similar uh, you know, uh, attacks are happening in this part of the world. Now, mm-hmm. there is no silver bullet. I think uh, it is all about having the right skill and, and workforce transformation. And I think that, that Singapore is a very uh, unique, I mean, I would say that very ahead in the game that they have taken this as part of their uh, smart nation agenda, mm-hmm. uh, whereby uh, uh, the workforce transformation, upskilling and reskilling are happening through MAS uh, uh, launch programs. Uh, IBF uh, it has launched a number of programs. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, the, there is a huge uh, 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 new skills that are going to come and which will essentially be uh, uh, addressed through some workforce reskilling and staying relevant to learn some of these skills. So you might be in IT, but you have never actually dealt with cyber. So you might have done infrastructure or production support, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, now there are courses and programs which are coming and curated that uh, uh, Central Bank is insisting that you can't be in the financial industry unless you have this cyber specialist or even in the board. Yeah. And I'm assuming some of these courses might be modified because the cyber risk will forever get more and more sophisticated and change and morph. And therefore the courses have to be modified to address these things. Absolutely. So uh, as you rightly said, cyber is an evolving risk. So the goalposts are shifting. Mm. Uh, It's like, you know, you cut a code and you put all the security measures and there is somebody who is smarter than you yes. is going to break that. So, so that's why this hackathon and all these, uh, uh, you know, yes. things. But I think uh, there are enough tools and, and parameters and, and, and security things that are coming, which mm-hmm. is, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a good thing that are taking place. But yeah. it, it's a journey. I don't think it, it's going to ever stop. Yes, the moral but, story uh, is that you can't be complacent. It's, as you say, it's a shifting goalpost. You, you have to be moving with the tide. You can't be complacent in that space. I think, let, let's get back to, I think you started to talk about the change in landscape, but let's get back to that and, and talk about that in greater mm-hmm. detail. Um, do you believe that FinTech increased adoption has enabled some of the, the, the Southeast Asian markets to bypass certain old established financial structures when transacting, for example, and therefore expediting their development in certain business areas? Um, please provide examples if you agree. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely uh, it is, uh, uh, you see, banks were typically uh, uh, was sitting there and, and there wasn't any threat uh, mm-hmm. because it's highly regulated, uh, uh, you know, customers uh, are there and, and branches were operating. Uh, suddenly this, uh, uh, you know, fintech, which is faster, cheaper, uh, mm-hmm. they are coming as a disruption. So uh, uh, example being, you know, uh, uh, what was this financial services setup look like? It, it, we had typically, if you if you look back before this fintech jargon, uh, fixed assets, which has been branches. 
and then you have the ATM machines. So this was this was a huge barrier to entry for newcomers. But when technology advancements uh, uh, came, and now upstarts to run complex operations sitting at home. So for mm. example, new banks, uh, these new banks operating purely on technological infrastructure, they don't have any physical uh, presence. So uh, that that is uh, something much cheaper and faster. And then if you look at the uh, the enablement that I was talking about, that, uh, that the growth was triggered through the internet connectivity, uh, mm-hmm. together with high smartphone penetration rate in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the, the connected devices, uh, which we, in our industry, we, we also call it internet of things, IoT. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, uh, mobile first culture, connecting and procuring services, uh, finger, you know, fingertips, uh, and, and there is a large youth population, as I said, in Asia that are gaining internet and mobile penetration and, and offering opportunities uh, like banking service uh, are also addressing the underserved as well as unbanked population. So mm-hmm. one is the individual, the retail clients uh, who are who were uh, unbanked, uh, but also the SME uh, who are small boutique shop. Uh, they don't have that luxury of employing uh, many yeah. uh, people. Yeah. Uh, so uh, multitasking and those SMEs were neglected by the banking industry in a large context because uh, the, the cost of servicing them was too high uh, from making any revenue from those clients. So mm-hmm. now with this fintech, uh, the propositions are that they have this technology solution which will automate their operations totally and mm-hmm. banking as a service, we call it, right? And, and this in their handheld device, they mm-hmm. will have all the information of their invoice, yes. payment, yes. record, uh, you don't need any uh, physical presence in that sense. So uh, uh, that is a platform uh, a business or platform bank, I would call. And these are enabled through technology like API, microservices, yeah. cloud platform, which is allowing them to scale up. So all these are stitching together to provide a single super app kind of uh, uh, service, uh, which is an unified experience for client that they're experiencing. This was never there. Yeah, and, and I think, thank you for that. Uh, I think you've, you've kind of answered the next question, which would be about you know, the biggest risk that FinTech poses to incumbent traditional banks. And- I, I would have a, I have a different perspective on this. And, and my view is uh, uh, initially the banks were looking at FinTech as their uh, you know, opponent or, or oh, first ignorant, oh, they're too small. <laughs> you know, uh, then, okay, they, you know, we are, we are in competition. I think that it has come to a stage now that they have realized that uh, actually they can complement each other. And if they collaborate, which I'm seeing more and more that big banks are going targeted FinTech to say, oh, this payment or that mortgage or this card, uh, I want to partner with you. And why? Because for customer, it is actually white labeled. It doesn't matter. Customer doesn't see uh, who is providing as a service at the back end. So FinTech, in a way, uh, are actually uh, a much cheaper solution that banks are now partnering with them. So I would say, if you see the retail business, eventually uh, it will not stay with the bank, in my view. And and who knows, we may even see that to do banking, you don't need a bank. Yeah, you can go through any means. Um, Yes, okay, that's interesting. Let's end this episode um, of Heads Talk with, with a question that I will ask all the guests um, of this new series. So let me begin by asking, what is the app that you, Osmond, um, cannot do without in the, in the FinTech world and why? I, I don't think uh, it's an app 
uh, issue, but I would say uh, it is the client experience that uh, uh, fintechs are trying to solve. And uh, what you're trying to resolve is give the solution uh, and client experience is your differentiator. Uh, it, it's no more that uh, pricing. So how that, does the client uh, experience when you are providing and, and getting that delivered? Is, is it seamless? It, you know, people are sitting at home or in uh, or while in the bed, they want banking transaction to be done. Mm -hmm. This was never, you know, we take it so easily today because of the instant gratification that has come through internet and, and this millennial who, who try to do things immediately. That exactly the experience uh, uh, people are expecting when it comes to banking, because I'm getting spoiled in other areas of the industry where uh, things gets done so quickly. So why the banks are not able to do this? Uh, this is the question. And, and that's why fintechs uh, are again, uh, have a competitive edge whereby they're able to uh, uh, provide that, uh, uh, you know, a seamless client mm -hmm. experience. So um, I think that, that that differentiation is only through client experience, not that super app. Uh, uh, that's my view. Okay, so you're not going to commit to a single app that you your personally cannot do without, no? Okay. Well, no, well, yeah. let me, well, let's look at the part two to that question. What is the solution that you think has yet to be developed but sits firmly within the fintech world once available? So, so I think uh, I'm, I'm actually very excited about the possibilities that we see through a blockchain, which is unfolding. So mm -hmm. example being smart contract, uh, the, the legal layer that supports uh, uh, DeFi infrastructure uh, is, is enabled by the blockchain. So, mm -hmm. so solution is available, but the adoption is not readily there. Uh, so blockchain is what they're doing is it's a database of all transaction uh, mm -hmm. between across peer-to-peer -peer networks. So this is seen as a main technical innovation of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So, so with the potential to disrupt numerous business processes. So mm -hmm. that Bitcoin uh, is by far, in my opinion, most famous application of blockchain technology. So the cryptocurrency stores transactions uh, in so-called Bitcoins, uh, which is within a decentralized ledger uh, uh, of its blockchain. So how this blockchain technology, uh, I would say, has got many more applications that you will see, uh, uh, both existing and potential, uh, that will come through uh, uh, cryptocurrency usage. So uh, smart contract, the more sophisticated code, more automated, self-executing, mm -hmm. and smarter contract. So ultimately, what will happen is uh, we may see autonomous parties in the form of computerized agents. So uh, Internet of Things devices connected uh, uh, online, uh, entering into smart contract without any human intervention. So uh, I, I would say the challenge that we today see is the legal issue. Uh, and once that is being sorted out, uh, I think there will be a, a, a more blockchain application possibilities, as well as adoption to solve real world business challenges that we will mm -hmm. see uh, are getting solved. The other that comes to my mind is the reg tech, regulatory fintech. Uh, yeah. It's a very nascent technology and, and innovations for cross-border data sharing and, and, and money laundering. All these, uh, the traditional way of handling is going to be totally changed uh, once some of these, uh, you know, uh, regulatory and legal uh, issues are being sorted out. Mm -hmm. The third, I would say, is your green financing. Uh, it is a, it's a global importance, as you can see, that COP26 uh, and this got accelerated with this uh, climate change challenges 
uh, as well as the disruption that came through COVID pandemic. So I, I, I would say that uh, I would really like that FinTech is, is paving the way for sustainable tech solutions. So we call it uh, SusTech solutions, where sustainability and technology will create more value for stakeholders. So, so one of the solution I would like to see is, is a way of compute a company's ESG metrics, uh, uh, which will qualify it for green financing loan. So the basic principle is that the company growth and profit should also be balanced with its sustainability commitment. So that whole green finance space, I think we will see a, a, a big shift taking place uh, uh, sooner than later, given where we are with the global warming and, and you know, environment mm -hmm. challenges. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot yeah. going on in the background. There's a lot of these solutions being de developed. It's just that we need to get the adoption in place. So that, I think that's what's coming across with what you're saying. Yeah. Osman Urshad Fais, many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you so much. Lovely talking to you. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.